Welcome to The Reforming Lounge, a podcast on spiritual formation for the wandering heart. Every Wednesday, we gather to discuss questions centered around mental health and discipleship in the context of the local church. Well, good morning. Welcome to The Reforming Lounge. We hope that y'all are doing well. Uh, My name is Marco, and I'm joined by my co-host, Fowler. What's up, dude? What's up, man? How, How are you doing this morning? I'm doing fantastic playing some contest of champions but i'm mostly with you i feel like every time today. we record i forget this but every time we record you always got some D superhero magic game going on on the side wow that's such a poor description of what i'm actually doing but i don't know if it is i mean you know by the way we need to do an episode on D. so putting that out there that's coming yeah. Okay. Live for the listeners so they know now. We're going to yeah. talk about D&D. Not today, but, you know, at yeah. some point. Well, I think a lot of people know that you played, we both played D&D. Yeah. Um, but you're pretty intense about it on your yeah. phone. I'm not playing D&D on my phone. I'm not bro. saying you're playing that right now. <laughs> <laughs> but like last time, you're like, oh, yeah, I got to choose these three superheroes to beat so-and-so. And then last time... It was something about football and it's just, yeah. It's, it's literally never been about football. You don't do the fantasy played, stuff? Nah, the fantasy dude, football I stuff? I haven't played fantasy football since grad school, which no, since before grad school. So probably like 2013 is the last time I played fantasy okay. football. But the superhero stuff and D&D you play. Yeah, come at me. I was at your house a couple of weeks ago and you're like, check out this game. And you're on your phone playing some video game. Yeah, that was Contest of Champions. Whatever. It's what I've shown you. It's what I'm showing you right now. This yeah. right here. Same thing. That doesn't look like it did when I was at your house. I don't know what that uh, is, dude. Oh, man. Whatever. What are we talking about today? Do you do this with your clients? You probably do. Be honest. <laughs> do I Do I be honest with my clients? No. Uh, do you have like a game going in the background as your clients yeah. are sharing their stuff? And you're like, oh, my gosh. Wait, wait a minute. I got to do this fireball. Um, no, I do not. I gotta be, you know, emotionally attuned. I mean, I can't keep up with like what, where I'm trying to get people in counseling. If, if I'm doing anything besides focusing on them, like, no, that would not be good practice. That would not be helpful. Yeah. I would definitely not be professional or ethical. I'm glad. So I'm glad our listeners know that and that you just do that here. You know, yeah. this is the exact, this is a really good example of what we were talking about last week with self-love, right? Selfishness oh, versus denying oh, yourself. Okay. Oh, okay. <laughs> oh. Well. No, man, keep playing. It's okay. No, it's fine. No, remember Paul Tripp said like love is self-sacrificial and you don't have to reciprocate it. So don't reciprocate it. Don't do okay, it. cool. Don't, don't do it. Won't. You know, even though that's what Jesus did for you, but. Uh, <laughs> all right. So uh, this morning, because our episodes tend to go kind of long, so so we can dive into some of this stuff already. Yeah, uh, so this morning up, we going. are what? I said, shut up, get going. I'm going. What are we talking so, about? Go. Uh, we are uh, currently still in our series on culture wars. Uh, last week we started uh, this series with an episode on self love. I thought that was a really good uh, conversation, if you will. Um, and this morning we're diving back into this series. 
as we talk about relativism. And so before we do that and define it and unpack it, and then I ask you questions that are not on our notes. Um, For real. <laughs> um, before that happens, could you uh, briefly remind our listeners as to why we decided to do a short series on culture wars? So, so what is culture wars? Why does it matter? Um, these are topics that can really easily be sort of blended into our theology, um, sort of in, in ways that we don't even realize it's just pretty heavily like part of our culture. It's a language that we hear throughout our culture through a lot of different, you know, areas that we're involved. Um, and so, but it can definitely be applied too much to a point where it's like conflicts with, you know, historical theology, um, for, for Christians. So we're looking at it here. That was great. That was insightful. Um, so as we, as we dive and thanks for that, but so as we dive into, into relativism, um, yeah, why don't you answer the the two questions that we've been tackling at the beginning, right? So, so how would you define relativism, and then why does why does this topic matter? This topic specifically. So there are really complicated, expansive ways to define relativism that I found out as I was doing some research for this episode. Um, but what we're talking about is mostly like relativity of truth, and so. That concept is essentially that there is no such thing as absolute truth, that it's dependent on the person. Mm -hmm. So what can be true for me might not be true for you necessarily. Mm -hmm. Um, And why that matters here is because this is a postmodern idea that's heavily influenced our culture and is really, really prominent in the Bible Belt. Uh, But Christians do believe historically that there is such a thing as absolute truth. Right. Uh, but you'll oftentimes hear, I, I think where this comes out in like Christian speak is, you know, well, that's just your interpretation of the scripture. Mm. Um, mm. It's probably a pretty popular way that it's that it's used where, I mean, sometimes we could be interpreting things differently, but the text is the text in a lot of ways right. too. Yeah. So yeah. we can't just yeah. say that for everything. You know, there has to be wrestling with it and discernment. But. How would you define postmodernism? No, I'm just kidding. I know you didn't want that question. <laughs> <laughs> but seriously, modernism. No, I'm just kidding. It's the period post the modern. <laughs> it's after modernism. Duh. You're welcome. Um, Educated. <laughs> well, free. Thanks, uh, so as we begin to talk about relativism, um, and as we begin to talk about it particularly from from a christian perspective uh before we get there um how do you see this play out for instance in 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 the context of mental health and 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 when you are meeting with your your clients or patients um yeah how how do you see this play out in the context of mental health and emotional health and so on and the the first thing that comes to mind trying to ignore my notes so you don't you know, trap me. I'm not uh, trapping like, you. This is like literally your profession. <laughs> Just messing with you, bro. Uh, the, the first thing that comes to mind, and this is something that's in my notes, is the impact of this idea on kids. I think kids get exposed to this. And, you know, this is depending on where they're at. I'm in the DFW. Most of the kids that I see are in the DFW. Um, 
but man, they get this idea in school all the time. Um, and so there's things about relativism that are true. Uh, so like what might be spicy food for one person might not be spicy at all for another person. Right. Um, where, you know, you live in the Valley, what's hot for you might be very different for like weather wise, right. uh, could be really different for me and what's, what's hot in DFW where I live every single day. Right. So some of that stuff, like there's aspects of what is relative that is very true. Um, but then it can, it seems to be overemphasized culturally. And so then kids are getting these ideas where we'll be, we'll be in a private session, just okay. me and the child. And I, I've seen kids more than one. This is not just one, but like I've, I've had multiple kids where like, if I ask them a question, it's like, they feel uncomfortable to give their answer because they're like, well, not everybody sees it this way. Yeah. And it's, that's, that's where I think kind of the extreme trap of it is. It's like, you're not even allowed your opinion. Mm. Um, if you're like leaning really heavily into, well, truth is relative. There is no such thing as reality uh, or absolute truth, which would kind of beg reality too, I would say. Right. Right. Yeah. The other way I see it come up is like with couples and um, you know, it might be like, well, if this is my truth and this is their truth, then how can we ever move past this? Which, yeah. I mean, if you get stuck on that, then that could be a really, you know, paralyzing place for people. Mm -hmm. um, and there's some things that just people might never see eye to eye on, but that's okay. That doesn't necessarily mean that one is absolute truth and the other is wrong uh, or anything like that, but it could just be, we see this differently and that's not the end of the world, but we can still have conversations productive, mm -hmm. effective around what we disagree on. Right. So that's where I see it most. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's helpful. Um, okay. So in, in light of all of this, right. So, so obviously you see this in, in some of your clients or in some of the cases that you have, have been, uh, in, involved in when it comes to, to, to relativism, um, how do you think the culture has, uh, heavily influenced, um, particularly Christians in this area of, of relativism? It's well, like, like I said, there's things that are relative mm -hmm. and I think what happens, it seems to me what has happened is when it comes to morality uh, being dictated, at least in America, you know, heavily through Christian influence, that that's problematic for people. And so people don't want to be told that they're wrong. And so I think it's mostly being used now as like, well, what can be wrong for you might not be wrong for me. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Right. Like, and something that's really, really prominent now is like, reality and truth and morality is created by the white man in America. And so what you might be saying is right or wrong could be culturally oppressive. There's plenty of areas where that's true, but there's other areas where like, if we were to accept that fully at face value, then we couldn't say things like sex trafficking is wrong mm. or, um, you know, mistreatment of 
women is wrong. Right. Um, like pretty, like pretty obvious stances that would like people in America would be against. Right. Right. I think mostly, hopefully. Right. <laughs> you know, but that's where relativism would go is it would say that like, well, that's culturally acceptable and you can't tell that person that their culture is wrong. Right. And so there's parts of their culture that, yeah, that it is culturally different. And even from a Christian biblical perspective, it's not a problem. Right. I think we mm-hmm. see that when the Gentiles are brought in and they felt there isn't an ax where they, um, oh man, what's the council? Where they're like, have the Gentiles focus on these things, but they don't need to brought, be brought into the Jewish culture. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah, yeah. I mean, you certainly see that like in Acts 15, um, where the church leaders are essentially saying that the Gentiles need to become Jews first before they become Christians. And yes. that's Paul's entire argument in Galatians. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's good. Yeah. Um, and it's interesting, right? Because Paul's entire argument of Galatians is that he is rooting them back to the doctrine of justification by faith alone. He's like, Hey, this is what God has done for me for you. And then this is where you operate out of, um, as opposed to all of these other areas that, that are from these individuals that are trying to sway you. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's really interesting that when it comes to relativism, we were watching, uh, an apologist a, a while ago, but it's really interesting that when it comes to relativism, it does sound like there is this humble, approach to it, this learning spirit that comes with relativism. But in fact, in many ways, relativism can contradict itself in the case of, for example, morality, where it kind of flips it on its head, right? Like, in other words, there needs to be this moral standard, for instance, what you, what you mentioned, right? Like sex trafficking is bad. Um, men and women were created to have dignity and, and value. And relativism would flip that on its head, right? Um, uh, Saying that, well, that doesn't necessarily, that's not, it's either not true or that doesn't apply. And so it can be actually confining and confusing, Mm. right? And so um, you mentioned a while ago, kind of going back, you mentioned a while ago when it came to, when it comes to relationships, um, you talk about how, relativism um, can be confining to individuals in the context of relationships. So um, a while ago, you talked about how you see that in relationships, but what are the effects of that apart from it being confining? I mean, I think in the extreme terms, it can come to people feeling like they're in an impasse and can't move forward in the relationship. Right. So if they think that, I mean, if, if we all think that we hold absolute truth based on our own perspective, then yeah. Where do you go from that? Mm-hmm. Like it would, it would seem as, I mean, that's impossible. Like that's an impossible concept to live with. It really yeah. is. If, yeah. if people really sit with it, it's straight up impossible to think that you can live in relationship with people and both of you hold your own version of absolute truth. That's just, it's delusional. And yeah. so people will get stuck and they won't be able to have conversation. Whereas what we see with like emotionally healthy people um, that would be flexible, uh, which is part of being emotionally health healthy is you're not super rigid in your thinking uh, to the point where you can't even hold other people's perspective. That tends Mm -hmm. to be a pretty common symptom of like trauma response Mm -hmm. is 
what you see is true is true. It's it's not only in the case of trauma, but that that can be a uh, a symptom of that. Mm-hmm. Uh, but when people are emotionally healthy, they're able to be flexible. They're able to kind of take other people's perspective and not feel as though that's like damaging their identity or like you know saying that there's something wrong about them necessarily, which sometimes is what happens with people is they're like, they think that they're being personally attacked when they're just not like a difference Mm -hmm. of opinion does not mean it's a personal attack on you. Yeah. Yeah. Or persecution. Right. Yes. (laughs) Yeah. And so I think people take it that way. Um, Whereas when someone is able to be a little bit more flexible, they can, you know, understand someone else has a different life. They've had different experiences. They've, you know, they might view things differently and different isn't always wrong. Uh, I think there is a lot of value. It takes me to thinking about just biblical community and like the richness of, of biblical community and different people's experiences and cultures and, you know, all of those things that are coming together where, scripture might hit us differently and it doesn't even necessarily mean that one person's like something that one person is taking out of it is wrong and the other is right. right. But there could be, I mean, like it's, it's God's word. That's yeah good for every person. Like yeah. it's, it's going to be seen in different ways and still be right. Yeah. I don't know if that takes us down a really big rabbit hole. But, no, it's, it's, in, yeah. it's interesting because I think, I think one of the things that relativism can um, one of the things that relativism can um, dissociate itself from is context. And so in the case of, for instance, biblical interpretation, we did a series on um, stewardship a couple of weeks ago, and I walked through a variety of things. Uh, Most commonly when you hear stewardship, you're primarily thinking about finances, but we did everything from, um, uh, finances, uh, work, um, time, uh, gifting, and even health, uh, which was, which was a really, really fun and unique challenge. I'd never preached on, on health and I wasn't advocating like fitness and stuff like that, but just what does the Bible have to say about our health? Anyway, uh, one of the things that I had mentioned was, um, or one of the cross references that I used about about pursuing health, the main idea of the the sermon was man, when when we pursue or we when we when we take our health seriously, we're more sober minded to fix our eyes on the Lord and and those around us, something like that. Anyway, one of the cross references that I used was it's in First Corinthians where Paul tells the Corinthian church that. Um, he will not be dominated um, by by something, and um, and the context of the chapter is Paul is addressing sexual sin, and so I, I use that as a cross reference. But I also was clear with the congregation: this is what the context of what Paul is saying in this chapter. However, the principle applies to idolatry, mm. and so so I think we can do that in a way that. For instance, when we're talking about biblical interpretation, we could do that in a way where we can address the clarity of the context um, while at the same time seeing that the principle of what the writer is saying may apply to a different situation. Like Paul is talking about the context was sexual sin, and at the heart of that was idolatry. 
we're talking about health. This is a really good statement from Paul. Here's the context, but the principle of this applies to our health as well. And so I think one of the, I I say all of that to say, um, or I say all that to come down to, oftentimes I see individuals take when they take a position of relativism, they one of the things in which they're taking out is context. And be, when you take out context, right, that's when you, I think, expand and embrace, hey, what's true for me is not true for you and, and, and vice versa. Um, and you get rid of like, for instance, absolute truth. Um, but yeah, in the, in, the, in the area of biblical interpretation, uh, scholars and professors and commentators would tell you the, the number one rule to biblical interpretation, just like a realtor would preach location, location, location. Uh, the Bible would have us preach context, 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 like what is happening in this, in this context. And then, and then we're going to exegete as much as we can before we get to the application. Mm. Um, you know, I was thinking offline, I, I told you a little bit about it, but I think it, I think it's important. Um, a couple of weeks ago, we did this introduction to systematic theology class. And the first week we talked about epistemology, right? Um, and I know you were all nervous about epistemology. So, uh, <laughs> an epistemology is essentially so one of the ways in which it's defined is the investigation of what distinguishes uh, belief from, from opinion. Right. And it's, it's the study of like the source of something. And so we talked about two things we talked about, and I'll try to be brief about this because I want you to, to get more in on this. We talked about an epistemology of discovery. And then we talked about an epistemology of revelation and almost everybody at one point lives in an epistemology of discovery. In other words, truth is out there for me to discover. And the way in which I'm going to discover that truth is primarily through senses right? I'm going to discover it through logic. I'm going to discover it through sight. I'm going to discover it through sense. I'm going to discover it through feeling. And as it, I suppose, goes down the list of these senses, I'm going to arrive at truth. And that sounds really good because a lot of the things that we have done in our lives, whether it's growing up as kids or even as adults, has come from an epistemology of discovery. The problem with an epistemology of discovery is is the question that we asked last week was, have you ever been wrong? Mm-hmm. Right? Because if you've ever been wrong, it shatters that, uh, that, that logic. Yeah. Whereas an epistemology of revelation teaches that truth is revealed to me. Right. And so that's where we get the revelation of God's word. Yeah. So God has revealed himself in terms of general revelation, right? Creation and, um, uh, uh, yeah, primarily it's really through creation. He's revealed himself through creation and then there's special revelation where God reveals himself to me through his word and in the work of his son. And so those are two completely different ways because one is saying truth is revealed to me and therefore there is a source. Whereas the other one is saying, I'm going to go and figure it out. But the problem is when I'm wrong, it, it kind of shatters how I view the world and people. Yeah. And so I think that's part of the issue with, with relativism and some of the contradictions that it has. It's, it's if I say, man, truth is what I say it is or what I feel it is. The problem is what, what happens when I'm wrong? So it, it's not as humble as some people would assume that it is. Um, right. It's actually not as fruitful in many ways as some people would assume it is. 
Uh, and in fact, it's, it would be um, arrogant and almost blinding or confining, I should say, arrogant and confining um, when we adopt a, I said, I, I suppose a relative worldview of, of, of truth as opposed to revelation actually, or truth being revealed to me in the person and nature of God. Yeah. Wow. That's good, man. That's good stuff. <laughs> so yeah, your response. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it, it takes me to a few different places. I mean, one of the things that comes up is like, this is why uh, our understanding of scripture is really important mm -hmm. uh, because, you know, there's, there's things I feel like we, I feel like we've particularly seen this a lot in American culture um, more explicitly in the past few years, not that it's been, uh, you know, non-existent before then, but some of these uh, views that are different between uh, just different parts of the church where some of, uh, I don't want to, point out anybody politically but you know yeah. where politics can really come up right and and that it's um things that are culturally relevant to where those people are the things that those experiences that those people have sure. and that if they're not in different areas or different contexts that they really don't understand the struggles of other people right, uh, right. that can be a real problem in america in particular where many people are well off financially, yeah. Yeah. especially relative to many other areas of the world. Right. And so we can look at it as if I think what comes up a lot is like issues of uh, the poor mm -hmm. and how some people will look at that politically uh, and how they um, like the policies that they would go for in right. that area. Um, but because they're in their own context right. and it, they don't understand what people in other contexts with other, you know, abilities and resources are actually experiencing on yeah. a day-to-day -day basis. Yeah. Um, and, but people will use scripture to justify those things. Right. Still. Right. right. Yeah. And it's, yeah. Th that's where it goes to interpretation. Yeah, because it's like if you're missing the context of what scripture is saying and you're misapplying it, yeah. then kind of like we were talking about that in this stupid love and respect book review <laughs> of like how he's <laughs> taking some of these passages and yeah. acting yeah. as if they apply to marriage and they don't. Yeah, it's like you're completely misapplying those for your own resources. Right. I think sometimes people do that intentionally, but sometimes they just misunderstand it. Mm hmm. You know? Yeah, I think the, the bigger setting, I think, I, I could be wrong, I think the bigger setting there in the context of that culture war within political ideology is that there, there, there's a conflict between kingdoms. Ooh. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like for many, I, I don't know the hearts of all politicians or, or many of them, sure. but I would imagine for many of them, they are striving for a new political kingdom and therefore that is their that is their motivation in the sure. way in which they view and interpret scripture. And then there are others whose motivation is seeing a new kingdom, right? Through the person and work of Christ. And so that's fueling the way in which they view the world and people and contexts and policy and so on. And so there is this conflict, this clash of kingdoms where 
oftentimes it is two, two sides or multiple sides looking at scripture and saying, well, this is what it says. Therefore, this is what we must do. But the nature of one is the, um, I suppose, the rise and embracing of a new political kingdom where the other one is saying, no, we're, or another view might be saying, man, we're, we're actually, what we want to see is uh, the kingdom of God expanded. Right. right. I mean, that, that's ultimately what Jesus says, seek the kingdom first and, and uh, seek the kingdom of God first. And so there's this, there's this battle of, of uh, I suppose, kingdoms. Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting how quickly, I mean, good things, like things that we could find in scripture yeah, that we should care about, that we should like advocate for can become an idol for ourselves. Mm-hmm. And like, it's like we get into, and I think this is what I see on, like when I talk about the dumpster fires on Twitter, Twitter yeah, is, yeah, it's like different Christians bashing each other over like theological issues and not having the capacity to say both of these things are important. We, we can't just like focus on one thing as if that is the only thing that matters mm-hmm. to bring the kingdom of God to earth. Um, but it seems like that's what happens where... You know, these, again, based on where people are coming from, are like, this is more important than anything else. And you don't care about this. So why are you yeah. talking about this other thing? And yeah, it's crazy. Yeah, it does. And I think um, and so the scripture I was thinking about was, was Matthew 6, 33, right? Where Jesus says, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, right? So that that's the goal. The other thing, going back to what you were just saying, is one of the challenges within Christian circles is that there is a confusion, uh, and I'll explain this, I, th- I hope quickly. There's a confusion between first-ranked doctrines, second-ranked doctrines, and third-ranked doctrines. In other words, doctrines that are essential to the gospel, doctrines that are important but not essential to the gospel, and then doctrines that are um, not essential to the gospel but need to be discussed. Mm. And um, And it's okay to have varying positions on said doctrines. Um, and so I think one of the things that you see within, and this might be getting off topic, I don't know, but I think one of the things that you see within this confusion of first rank doctrines, first, second, and third rank doctrines is um, relativism isn't necessarily the issue, but, but discerning what is first, second, and third rank doctrines, because clearly there are things that are important, but then there are things that are essential to the gospel. And I think there are writers and commentators and scholars who have a really good pulse on cultural trends. And I think they have to do a good job of, they have to do the hard job of discerning, okay, what is at stake here? Is it an essential doctrine? Like, in other words, if, if we don't argue about this, if we don't fight for this, this compromises the gospel. Yeah. Right. And then second rank doctrines where it's like, yeah, we might, you know, we're going to fellowship with one another, but we might disagree in these areas. And then third rank doctrines were, we're just like, this isn't necessarily that big of a deal. Um, and so as a result of, of all of that, I think relativism can seep into the church when um, we have a poor understanding of what scripture teaches about what is essential, important, and necessary. And relativism seeps into the church when we, I think, blur those lines 
mm-hmm. by removing context, I think. Yeah. So what would be some examples of first rank doctrines? And second and third. Why don't you just like lay out a couple examples? So people I think like a first rank doctrine. I was doing this in this cl- in the class we were in. A first rank doctrine would be, for instance, the doctrine of the Trinity. That God is one in three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Yeah. Like that, like you take out the Trinity, you lose Christianity. <laughs> yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. So that would be an example of a first rank doctrine. Um, the virgin birth, that is a first rank doctrine, right? The, the virgin birth um, explains uh, the incarnation, right? That, that God became man in Jesus Christ. Yeah. Um, and so you remove that, you, you kind of take Christianity out of the whole picture. Right. right. Uh, a second rank doctrine could be, for instance, um, like baptism, like modes of baptism, like Presbyterians mm. be, uh, and, and Baptists as an example, as a general example. Yeah. Right. Uh, Presbyterians and their understanding of scripture as, as it applies to the baptism of infants, it would not be salvific, but it is folding them into the covenant community. Whereas many Baptists would argue for a believer's baptism. Well, man, baptism primarily takes place in the context of individuals who have been discipled and have professed um, salvation in Jesus. Right. So that would be, so it's important, right? It is, um, um, but it's not essential to the gospel. If, if I disagree with a Presbyterian brother or sister, we don't diminish the gospel. Now, even saying that, some would say, actually, you do. And so that's the danger and some of the confusion between first and second rank doctrines. Yeah. Um, and then third rank doctrine could be something like, um, uh, like the end times. Like mm-hmm. everybody would like agree. It. Yeah. Eschatology. Everybody would agree mm-hmm. that we need to have uh, an eschatological view of what's going to happen. Cause that informs a lot of like having an eschatological view informs how we live today. Like right. that is true. Yeah. Right? Uh, and there is a generality that comes with eschatology that one day Jesus will return to claim his bride, the church, how that's all going to take place in a variety of these views and a variety of these camps like that's good that we work through those things. It's good that we argue and we push back on one another because that should shape us and inform us and that affects how we live. But at the same time, again, it doesn't, it's not essential to, to the gospel, mm-hmm. right? To the to the the centrality of the message of the gospel. But this is the part where it gets where it gets a little blurry because some people would argue that is a first rank doctrine. Right. And so when we get into, when we get into those waters, that's when sadly doctrine divides that's, or when churches divide over doctrine, that's when you see like church splits um, and a bunch of other things can happen. And I think, you know, coming back to our conversation on, on relativism, like how does that play a role? Uh, It is, I think relativism plays a role in a setting like that when we are not humble about learning from one another in the context of Christian circles, mm. right? Because the idea of relativism is that it appears humble, but in quite its fight, in, in, in reality, it's quite arrogant. And so yeah. that concept can be applied to, to discerning doctrines among the church. Right. And so, yeah. Yeah. Well, what would you tell like the congregation? Uh, when it comes to navigating relativism 
like in the culture? Like what do Christians need to be aware of? Oh man, that's a good question. I think, um, I think the way in which Christians should interact with relativism is one of the basic ways to be knowing your Bible, mm. um, ask questions. Yeah. And then, um, ask questions and walk in humility because there might be things that you don't necessarily understand or know and learning whatever those things are, learning some of those challenges, interacting with some of those challenges are just going to better inform you. You may not make a different decision, but at least you're better informed about how to continue to interact with the culture of relativism in a way where in a way where you you lovingly disagree with someone else, as opposed to just fighting over, um, I think just the subjectivity of relativism. Yeah, does that make sense? Yeah, man, it does. I think that's really good. Uh, walking humbly and asking questions and knowing your Bible. Yeah, because yeah, I, I think what we can, and maybe this is just myself, but it, it seems as though we can have the sense that we're so focused on trying to impact other people that we forget that we're being sanctified and changed yeah. also. Yeah. Right. Yeah. It's not like we have all the answers. We need to be flexible in that, uh, that maybe we've got the wrong view yeah. and talking openly and humbly with our brothers and sisters in Christ, we can be changed through that. Right. So, right. I think it's good, man. Yeah. I think about, and I'm, I'm, I'm like, where is it? Um, uh, I think it's, uh, is it Micah? It's Micah uh, six. I think it's a really good. Oh, oh yeah. Um, it's yeah. Like six, it's, eight. I yeah. Think. Micah six, eight. He has told yeah. you, oh man, what is good and what the, what does the Lord require of you, but to do justice, love kindness and to walk humbly with your God, mm-hmm. man. How do we engage a culture of relativism, doing justice, loving kindness, um, and then walking humbly with the Lord. Wow. That's good. I feel like that's a good like note to end on. I yeah. don't even know if we <laughs> No, that was good. Yeah, <laughs> that's yeah. That's good. Man. That's a really yeah. good like ending point. So yeah. So man, here's where we would encourage listeners. Um, and if you guys have questions or you want us to dive into relativism from a from a different perspective or a deeper perspective, man, we'd love to hear from you. Uh, but in addition to that, yeah, we would we would uh, encourage you to rest upon Micah six eight that that is what the Lord has told us what is good and what he requires of us, right? To, to do justice, love kindness, and to walk humbly with the Lord. Um, man, one thing that, that we don't mention in our, in, our, in our signing off is that you can visit our website, reforminglounge.com, and sign up for uh, not a newsletter, but sign up to be on our email list and, um, and then hook us up with questions uh, so that we can uh, better answer and serve y'all. But until then... Uh, next week, we're going to continue our series on this culture war, uh, on culture wars, and we're going to be talking about deconstruction next Ooh. week. Oh, so yeah. really excited about that. You guys want to tune in for that. But until then, we will see you then. Hope you enjoy the rest of your week. Deuces. Thank you for listening to the Reforming Lounge podcast. Follow us on social media at The Reforming Lounge on Instagram. If you have questions, we want to hear from you. Visit thereforminglounge.com.